Those are all of my commercials. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come together, uh, I'm just going to ask your blessing upon this time as we think about um, what it means to belong to you. Lord, you came on a mission to rescue us, and today you send us on mission. Uh, and I, I don't want to take that lightly, but really come back around. What does it mean for us, for me as an individual, for us as a body of people, to, to really have that sense that I'm not here on this earth for myself. I'm not here to chase after the stuff the world says is important. I'm not here to be happy. I'm here to serve you. And Lord, in that service, we are filled up. And Lord, I, I, again, I just ask that you allow these words to maybe make some difference in each one of us today as we look at how, are, how am I living out that mission that you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Amen. Um, Pastor? Yes. Are you going to open your present? Um, should I open this present? I don't know. Somebody... Somebody's like trying to, yeah. This says, this, we got you this from Christmas, but we came up with something that'll keep giving you joy and entertainment all year long. Kind of like the Jelly of the Month Club. Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho. And it is signed, Joel Olstein. Oh, I have always wanted one of these. I'm excited now. I am now the proud owner of a Joel Olstein Inspiration Cube. <laughs> Hi, friends. I see an angel. Do you see that angel? Angels announce good news. We don't want bad news. Bad news is bad. We want good news. There's my Joel for the day. Thank you for my inspiration. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I want to take just a minute at a time, uh, since we're in this season that we call Advent, uh, to kind of answer a question. We're going to do a couple of these together. So I want you just to think about this for a minute, kind of get it in your head, and then I want to, I want to hear from a couple of you. What does Advent mean for you? What does Advent mean for you? Just take a minute, think about that. What does Advent mean for you? Anyone want to share? Anybody willing to share? What does Advent mean for you? What do you think, guys? Reconnecting. Reconnecting. Yeah, I always think of that. That, hey, it's a call. Come back home. Come back home. Man, I am praying for that, Dan. I'm thinking, excuse my, excuse my uh, Greek, uh, COVID be damned. Um, I, I'm praying that that we are, as a people of God, are not afraid to come into the presence of God on, on, a, on a Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You, you guys are going to be singing on Christmas Day, so I know you're going to be here. Um, but I, I'm praying for that. Thank you. Reconnecting. What else? What do you got? Yeah. Preparing our hearts. Preparing our hearts. Yeah, preparing our hearts. Getting ready. Am I ready? Um, yeah, no, that's, that's right. I want to come back to that, Marge. That's very right. Yeah, Mike. Get a chance to refocus um, and get away from that because so much yeah. 
Just yeah. Just refocusing. Yeah, look at things through God's eyes. I like that. Good. Anyone else? Mark. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you do you do pause and think about people. Good. Really good. Anyone else? It's a, it's a reminder of love. Love, yeah, God's, God's love, love for, for us. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Let me move to the second question, and I'll, I'm going to throw this one out, and then we'll, we'll dig into this text. Um, for me, I was thinking, man, when I was a kid, Ad, Advent meant I got to go to church twice this week. <laughs> but it also meant hamburgers. My, my parents were wise. They're like, let's bribe the kids. We'll take them to church. And then after church, we're going to go out for hamburgers. We went to mama's restaurant, and those were some good hamburgers. Honestly, I, I don't think I knew what the word Advent meant until I was older. And somebody said, so this Advent, so you're talking about the return of Jesus Christ. I'm like, you are? Yeah. And I'm like, you mean when he's coming back? Yeah. So here's my second question I'm going to throw out. This is a little bit more serious. If Jesus Christ were to come back today, tomorrow, what would you want him to find you doing? What would you want him to find you doing? And think of what we don't want him to find us doing pretty, pretty quick, but... What would you want him to find you doing? Anybody? Thoughts on that? Yeah. Serving someone. Man, that's awesome. That's good. Thank you, Shirley. Someone else? Yeah. Are you ready? You're sharing maybe with somebody else. Are you ready for him to come? Because heaven is very, very... Very, very real. I always remember you standing at that gravesite, and we were getting ready to, to 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 bury, and we had Muslims present. And you said, you stood up and you said, "This is the place Jesus Christ will return. And he will take you to heaven, unless you do not believe." And the Muslims heard that. Am I speaking those words of truth to people? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know how you would answer that question, but I think it does lead into our, our study today. Um, you know, over the last three weeks, we've been in this 13th chapter of Romans. And uh, a lot of people look at Romans as a theological treaty, and there's no doubt there that it's packed with theology. But I look at it as a very missional book. It's, it's asking the question, are we as a church serious about what it takes, what it means to reach people for Jesus Christ? And uh, part of what's happening as you get to chapter 13 is Paul is having to address um, the, 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 the Jewish converts to Christianity because that, that's what the early church is in a way that says, hey, look, you grew, up in, you grew up in a world where you've always looked at people outside of Judaism as uh, unclean, uh, unworthy, uh, sinful people. Uh, so much so that, I mean, when you look at the design of the temple, right? The temple is designed uh, with courts within it. And if I'm a woman, I can go so far into the, the temple and I've got I've to stop. Uh, if I'm not Jewish, I'm, I'm in this, 
but, but I'm interested in hearing, I'm in this outer court. Uh, so, so there's even a physical sense in which, hey, you, you know what, you're, you're not a blood, a blood relation to us as, as Jews, you're, you're outside of that. And you know, by the time Jesus Christ comes, the church has really kind of become this group of people that's turned inward. And we're, we are convincing ourselves that, hey, we're good, we're right, and the rest of the world is evil and bad and sinful. And, and so these people become converts. They convert into Christianity. And all of a sudden, they're hearing a different message. And the message of Jesus Christ is all-inclusive. It's not, hey, we turn inside. It's no. The whole design of Israel was meant to be turned outwardly. We were meant to be this light to all nations. How in the world do we take the light and put it under the bushel and hide it? How do we do that? So I, I don't think that we can really feel Romans quite the way that the people initially felt it. But for it to become real, I think you have to be able to say to yourself, how do I otherize people? How do I otherize people? We all do it. We have built into our heads biases. Um, I, I want one friend that uh, is very dear to me. He would say to me, if he were here, he'd say, uh, wait. Honestly. See, I, I see somebody that's really heavy, and I, I judge him like that. It's, in, it's instant. It's, it, it doesn't even think about it. It's just like, oh, look at that person. Uh, for another person, it could be color of skin. You know, for another person, it could be sexual orientation. But we do it. It's quick. It's fast. It's instinctual. It's part of our old man. And um, we do it not only out there, but we, we do it in here. And I think about uh, a Paul who's coming and saying, okay, how in the world are you going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ out to people who you otherize? Do you not think that they're, they're going to not notice that? Yeah, they're going to notice that. Uh, so he's trying to rewire the church to think differently, to, to know differently, to see, Pastor Mike, other people through God's eyes, the way God sees another person is not outwardly, but inwardly. I look at the soul, and no matter who that person is, um, I want to see them in, in heaven. I mean, we could go down a long list of, of people whose names are familiar to us from, you know, Hitler to, to Charlie Manson, and all of us would be like, well, yeah, but those people, uh-uh. What we don't recognize is for God, God would look into each of those people as a soul and say, I want them to know me. Now, will they come to know me? They, they have the power to reject them. But God wants them to know him as, as their savior. And so he's rewiring the church. By the time you get to chapter 13, he's, he's trying to make this point that the way that we live outwardly is part of our witness. So Luther used to talk about our lives uh, from the perspective of, of, of living in two different kingdoms. And Luther would say, you always have to remember that we're citizens of two kingdoms. The kingdom on the, on the left is, is what? The, 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 the outward secular world that we are a part of. You're not divorced from it, nor should you be. We are a part of it. Um, and as a part of it, uh, how I live makes a difference. The other kingdom is the kingdom on the right. This is, the, this is what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. The kingdom on the right is made up of all people from all denominations. Doesn't matter. It's not a denomination thing. All people from any denomination, doesn't matter, but who really do have their faith and trust in Jesus Christ 
as their Savior and their, their Lord. That's the kingdom on the right. In chapter 13, he's really addressing what I call kingdom of the left issues. So we would say, well, does the way that I live outwardly in the secular world, does that impact my life over here in this kingdom, my ability to witness to another person? And uh, what Paul is saying, uh, Luther would agree with, yeah, it absolutely affects it. Uh, for the first part of chapter 13, uh, uh, verses 1 through 7, he's really addressing how, how I live in uh, respect to those who have been placed into authority over me. In other words, the idea that God, when he ordered this kingdom, put together offices that people uh, e exist in for the sake of order in, in that, that place, right? Um, we look at those people and we say, well, I don't respect this president. I don't respect this person who's the you know, head of the House of Representatives. I don't respect that person. Well, this is not about respect. This is about, the word is hypotasso. The Greek word is hypotasso. How do I live in a relationship to them? Hypo means what? Under, tasso, to, to place myself under. And so I may not respect you and how you live as a person. I may not agree with you and your policies. But what Paul is saying is, but yeah, if you don't put yourself into a place where you recognize their authority um, and then live in a way where if you have a disagreement with them, you go about disagreeing in a lawful way, then your witness is going to be obscured. Um, you become no different than people who are, are outside of the law. Uh, we are under the law. Do I struggle with this? Absolutely. We talked about, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Um, when you're living in a society and you have uh, somebody, somebody in, in a place of, of authority say, hey, we want to take some of your tax dollars and use those to perform abortions. I look at the Bible. I say to myself, listen, I believe that life begins at inception. Not only do I disagree with that policy, but now you're asking me to pay for something that God has called me not to do. I'm put in a tough position. Now I've got to decide, do I, do I follow man or do I obey God? This is Acts chapter 5 territory. Are there times where civil disobedience comes into play? There are. There are. When I'm being commanded to do something God has forbid or, or I'm, I'm being asked to, to not do something God has commanded, both of those times... Acts chapter 5 kicks in, and I look at things and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Otherwise, Paul says, put yourself under submission. So what does that mean? Well, you know, today it means, you know, Jerry, we're, we're putting a mask on, right? Do, I, do you want to put a mask on? You look good in a mask. Uh, no, you don't, really. I mean, none of us do. None of us look good in it. Come on. We don't look good in a mask. Uh, do we want to put a mask on? Probably not. Probably not. Do I do it? Yeah. Why? Because... I am under submission to those who are in authority. And uh, when you look at our mask mandate signs on the doors, that's what I put on them. Romans chapter 13, be in submission to those who are in authority. Doesn't matter what I like or don't like. If I don't like it, then through rightful, through rightful processes, challenge it. Go ahead and challenge it. That's why I'm going to sign the Barrington, Barrington uh, Declaration, by the way. Um, what about taxes? Do I have to pay taxes? I don't, again, I don't want to pay taxes. 
And, and remember, when this is being written, who's in rule? Who's the ruler? Yeah, I mean, Nero and, and all those who succeed him. And, and are these guys good guys? No, they're lunatics, murderous, uh, genocidal, um, homicidal, lunatics. And so the church is, I'm not paying taxes. No, I'm, I'll, put my money, I'll give all my money to God. I'm not going to give any to the government. No, Paul says, that will, that will actually obscure your witness to others. And, and so I think this is stuff we have to wrestle with. And I, I think it gets tough for every one of us in this room when we get into those areas where we really do disagree with something fundamentally that the government is doing. Um, and we try to challenge it through legal means. Um, there's no, there's no easy to this, and yet I don't think it's, I don't think it's, there's any way you can, can come against it. What Paul is saying is right, that God is the one who put together these places of authority, and as we come under them, we actually open up a door for us to share now what we call our kingdom on the right witness with others. Go to, to verse number eight. Um, in this second part to the, to the end, to the, almost, almost to the finish, uh, we'll go through verses 8 to, to 10, you kind of shift gears here towards how, how do I live in relationship uh, to my neighbor specifically. Okay, so let's just uh, start in verse 8. It says, owe no one anything except, here's what you owe people, here's what you owe people, except to love each other. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has, and the Greek word here is pleiratheo, fills up. It's like a cup being filled up. Fills up the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, do you love your neighbor? Well, I guess that, that question begs another question. Who is my neighbor? Right? Um, do you love your neighbor? Well, some, some of my neighbors, I consider some of you neighbors, um, we, we, we share a lot in common. So, yeah, oh yeah, I love my neighbor. What about that neighbor across the street from you? Yeah, I don't really know them. How will you love them? Um, am I supposed to love them? You owe no one anything except this. Uh, am I supposed to know them? How will you love them? Well, what, about, what about that one neighbor three doors down that plays that music at night? You know that music. You know what I'm talking about. Boom, 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 boom. Your whole house is shaking. Boom. Do you love that neighbor? You know, if I, if I had a chance, I'd shoot a hole in whatever device that they're using to create that noise at night. I'm not sure that I really do love that neighbor. Here's what I love about Luther. Um, he really makes a distinction between what it means to uh, authentically live out what God is calling for here as a Christian and, and what I think a lot of the church world portrays. And, and Luther used to do it this way. He'd say, okay, 
here's what we hear the church telling us. The church says, I'm supposed to love my neighbor and I'm supposed to serve my neighbor and I'm supposed to do these good things. Well, um, here's what that sounds like in the church. We, we wake up in the morning and we say, dear Lord, I'm going to love my neighbor today and I'm, I'm going to try to live a holy life today and I want to please you. I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to be in submission to the authorities. I'm going to do all that, God. That's, that's the evangelical prayer. Luther didn't pray that way. Remember how Luther prayed? Good morning, God. I've got a shotgun. Now I'm going to go down three, three doors down. I'm going to blow that, whatever that noise-making machine is, I'm going to blow it up. I'm so ticked off. I didn't get any sleep last night. I'm angry this morning. Katie's not going to like me today because I am just mad. That's what I am, God. In fact, I think I'll stick it an M80 firecracker in their, their mailbox and just blow it off his steel. That's what I'm going to do today, God. How does that sound to you? God's like, not good. Yeah, not good, God. I'll tell you what. I, I, that's how I feel. So you're going to have to put me to, to death and raise me up as a new person who actually loves the neighbor with the noise-making device three doors down. God, would you give me that spirit of love? I'm going to just say it as plainly as I can. God calls us to do one thing. All the commandments, they really are not, you better not do this, you better not do this, better not do this. Remember the commandments are made up of two tables. The first table has just three commandments. It, it is a vertical table. It means this is how I live in relationship to a God who loves me. Seven of the ten commandments go horizontal. They're about how I live with the other people that are part of my life. And in that horizontal space, what God is calling us to is one single word, and the word is love. And when you sum it all up, the commandments are not meant to say, bad, don't do this. Don't. They're meant to say, how will you live in a way that prepares people to hear your witness? Nothing will open the doors to your witness more than if you come before God and say, God, help me today to love the people that you put in my life. To love them means to honor them, to listen to them, to care about what's going on in their life, to take their burden upon your, yourself. And um, I will tell you that um, I, I would say, Advent, what do you want the Lord God to find you doing when he returns? Loving loving other people the way I have been loved by him. And that's, that's, that's his point is, here's how you guys all Jewish people grew up under the law. Here's, here's how I want you to understand the law. The law is nothing more than recognizing what it means to be put to death by a God who raises you up to do one thing, and that is to love other people. That opens up the doorway for people to hear the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he continues, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love, again, is pleiritheo, is that filling up of the law. Uh, so this whole section really focuses on, uh, again, what, what does it mean just to, to love those people who are neighbors? Now, I want you to try something. If, you, if you're working on your Bible, just draw a line between uh, verse 10 and 11, because there's a break that happens here. In other words, 
Paul shifts gears three times in this chapter. The first, right, the first seven verses are about my relationship to authorities. The second set of verses are about my relationship to my neighbors. This third section, uh, verses 11 to the end of chapter 13, is really about my relationship to the mission of God, to what God is doing, my relationship to the mission of God. And I think these words actually are just some of the, the most beautiful words in the Bible when it comes to what it, what it means for us to live missionally. Go to verse 11 and take a look at this. He says, besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Okay. So I'm going to read that just a little bit differently because I'm going to read it out of my Greek New Testament. Besides this, besides the way that you live in relationship to your neighbor, this is a participle. Here's how it should read. Be knowing this. Constantly be aware of this. Okay. So if I, if I wanted you to keep something fresh and in front of your, yourself and, and have you be thinking about it all, all the time, this is the word that I would use. I would say to you, okay, look, there's a lot of things that you, you're gonna, it's gonna go in your ear and out your ear, you're gonna forget, but don't forget this. Keep this in front of you. Always be knowing this. Now, here, here's what he wants you to be knowing, the time. Now, you just thought of a watch as chronos, that's chronological time. Remember, Greek has three words for time. What are they? Chronos, kairos, ionos. Third one is a revelation term, ionios. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've taught this a number of times, so hopefully we're, we're getting this. When, when God looks at his watch, he doesn't see chronological time. He sees ionic time, ionos. What does that mean? It means, here's God's plan. I divided it up into these parts. There's a time and a time and a half a time. And then there's the resurrection. That's how God looks at his watch. The first time is done. It's over with. It's gone. It's the Old Testament period. Put it in the past. There's a time and a time. We are currently in what we would call the New Testament time. When did it begin? Advent. With the first coming of Jesus Christ. When will it conclude? Ultimately, it concludes with the second advent, the second coming of Christ. Preceding that second coming of Christ is the half a time. And again, we've said it many times, the half a time is demarcated by a event, something that takes place on planet Earth that turns planet Earth upside down. All of the props get pulled out from underneath you. All the things that you think you can control, you cannot control. Somebody asked me at the beginning of COVID, could this be the beginning of the half a time? No. It is one more of many, many, many events in history that prepare you and I to recognize that the half a time is coming. When something like COVID happens, do I see God's hand in it? Absolutely. Part of it is God doing this. Wake up. I'm afraid our church has done the opposite. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. It's God, literally, it is. Wake up, church. Watch this. I'm going to take this little thing called...
You can't even see it. COVID. And what will you do with it? Oh, my gosh. What's it going to do? It's going to kill me. Um, wow. What has it done to our world? It's amazing to me what it has done to our world and to people. Can we control it? We think we can control it. Oh yeah, we well, know we can control this. We're gonna we're gonna make a vaccine, and we've got the mask. We'll socially distance from one another. While you're controlling it, look at what you're doing to 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 the rest of the world. Pretty significant stuff. When when I read statistics from psychologists that say two out of every four young adults have considered suicide in the last nine months, that scares the hell out of me. Why? We've disrupted life as God meant it to be, right? And uh, so what? But we're going to con- we're going to control it. When I hear a candidate for the office of the United States of President stand up and say, "There is no miracle coming. This is about science," I'm like, hmm, "Science is going to control it, really." Um, I don't think so. I think in, in the end, a, a virus, human beings try to control it. Let me ask you this question: Ten years from now, will COVID be present, or will it mutate? Well, we'd be saying, oh, man, that, that vaccine, that thing hurt like a bear. Uh, we need another one. We don't know. But I will tell you this. Is God using it? Absolutely. Wake up, church. And you know what he uses it for? Not for the world. Yeah, he uses it for the world to say, hey, you wake up. I'm, I'm, who's on the throne? Not you. But for the church, he says, wake up. I, I hope we can read these words that way. Besides this, you be knowing. Keep this forefront in your mind. The time. Now, here's the word used here, kairos. And I like that because it means what? Kairos always points to the gracious, merciful acts that God performs amongst people. So what it's saying is, wake up. You know what time it is. It's time, it's time for us to point to the gracious, merciful work of God through Jesus Christ. Why? Keep reading. Because the hour has come, the hour has come for you to wake up from, and I love this word, guys, our English word, sleep. In Greek, do you know what the word is? Hypnos. Underlies what English term? Hypnotized. This is what people look like today. We're just kind of going along with what, well, yeah, that's what they said we should. Wake up, church. Think about what time it is. It's time for us to point to the gracious work of God through Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, do you remember the mission of the church? It's not just to gather together for worship. It's to take this gospel out to people who don't know it. And is it time to do that? Wake up. Yeah, it is time. Be knowing of the hour. Because the hour is now. And the half a time quickly, quickly approaches. He, I'm going to end this off. He says, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I always say this. If you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, you can't tell time. You can't tell time. The only time you know if you're outside of faith is, the only time you know is chronological. You're like an animal. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, when we first believed, when these people came to faith, all of a sudden, guess what? I can now tell time. I know what time it is. And guess what? Time is running out. We better stay awake and we have a little time to take this gospel out.
uh, to others because salvation is near. You know what that means? The end day, the day of the trumpets, the last day is nearer to us right now than when we first came to faith. He's pointing to the, to the, to the resurrection. He's saying it's coming. The trumpets are going to blow. And so wake up, be knowing of the time, watch what God is doing in the lives of people around you because our mission is to what? Is to, is to bring this gospel to those who do not know Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. Lord, as we uh, close out today, this, this, this went too fast. Uh, thank you for time where we get to gather together and just think about, am I even awake? Do I know what time it is in my own life? My neighbors, do I love them? How do I live? Lord, do I otherize people? All of that, Paul swoops up in a few verses to remind us of what it means to be on mission to a world that has grown dark. Be with us as we go out into the world, Lord. Let us be lights. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. Blessings on the rest of the